Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us, if our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, last week I spoke about Paul the Apostle because during these weeks of the Easter season, we hear a lot about Paul as we're reading from the Acts of the Apostles. I mentioned last week, he's the star of that book. He's the main player in it. And after Jesus himself, Paul is the most influential figure in the development of the Christian church. You know, Alfred North Whitehead, the contemporary philosopher, said, all of philosophy is a footnote to Plato. What he meant was, Plato raised the questions that every philosopher has been wrestling with ever since. You might say all of theology is a footnote to Paul, meaning Paul in his letters to these little Christian communities in places like Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica and Rome raised the questions that we're still wrestling with 2,000 years later. He's that important a figure. Origen, Augustine, Bonaventure, Thomas Aquinas, John Henry Newman, all the great theologians are indebted to Paul, are commenting on him. So what was it? What was this central message that Paul preached? When he'd make his way into a synagogue in one of these ancient cities, when he would preach on the street about Jesus, what was it that he taught? Well, I'm going to sum it up this way and then try to talk about it a bit. To live in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's message. To participate in Christ Jesus, to find a new life in Him, that's his message. Notice first, Paul was a Jew who remained a Jew all his life. To speak of Paul converting to a new religion, or passing from one denomination to another doesn't make a lot of sense. Paul himself wouldn't have understood that. He saw himself as a Jew who had received the message concerning the fulfillment of the promises made to Israel. You know, even the most dispassionate reading of the Old Testament reveals that it's a book of expectation of hope, promise. God has chosen Israel, yes. They're the special people to whom he's given his law. And through Israel, he would bring salvation to all the nations. That's the promise. That's the hope, the expectation of Israel. Now, how will it happen? When will it happen? That's unclear. Those questions, by the way, are tied up 
with this messianic hope that one day a Messiah will come. Someone like Moses. Someone like King David or King Solomon. Someone who, through God's grace and power, would gather Israel and bring salvation and order to the world. That's the messianic hope. Young Shaul, I spoke of last week, Paul, as a student of Gamaliel, reading the Torah, reading the prophets, would have taken in this world of hope and expectation. What happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? When he saw the risen Jesus, and believe me, it was the last person he expected to see. Last person. In fact, he was actively persecuting the followers of Jesus as deluded fanatics. And yet, it's Jesus himself who appears to him and speaks to him. In that moment, Paul realized that the promises made to Israel had been fulfilled. The hope had been realized. The Messiah had come, though all of it in the most unexpected possible way. If he was waiting for Moses, he got a greater than Moses. He was waiting for David or Solomon, he got a greater than David or Solomon. He got a crucified and risen Lord. And this is the Messiah. In Shaul's Hebrew, Mashiach Yeshua. In Paul's Greek, Christos Jesus. Christ Jesus. Christians, that's the gospel. That's Paul's message. Woe to me if I do not evangelize. His message was to proclaim this Messiah to the world. God has saved us from our sins. God is gathering the nations, but in a most unexpected way, through this strange king. Let's look at more detail. Look at this in more detail. The very beginning of Jesus' public life, St. Matthew tells us that the devil confronted him. He showed him in one glance all the kingdoms of the world. These I will give you if you but bow down and worship me. But Jesus resisted him. You will worship the Lord your God alone. Him alone you shall adore. At the end of his life, Jesus confronts Pontius Pilate, who says to him, Are you a king? Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. Christians, here we see the great opposition. What's the kingdom of the world? Well, the kingdom is a way of ordering things. Whether it's in your family, your society, your community, the nation. A kingdom is a way of ordering things. The kingdom of the world, and mind you, it's a great biblical judgment. The kingdoms of the world, which belong to the devil, 
are those modes of ordering things based upon hatred, oppression, domination, violence, fear. Almighty empires are ordered just that way. They have been from the beginning of history. Jesus, throughout his public life, is proposing, better, embodying a new kingdom, a new way of ordering. You can see it in his table fellowship. You can see it in his inclusive manner. You can see it in his healing. You can hear it in his preaching, in all his witness. Jesus proposes a new way of ordering things based upon compassion, forgiveness even of one's enemies, inclusion of the most marginalized, love. That's the new order, the new kingdom, God's kingdom. Jesus' central prayer is that this kingdom might come on earth as in heaven. What was revealed in the cross and resurrection? In the cross, we see the clash of kingdoms. Pontius Pilate, Caiaphas, Annas, all the leaders of the establishment standing for the earthly kingdom. At the moment of truth, they opposed Jesus and his kingdom. And by all accounts, they won. As Jesus hangs crucified, on that instrument of torture devised by the government of Rome as a kind of state-sponsored terrorism, meant to terrify the enemies of Rome. As Jesus hangs dying on that cross, it appears to any objective observer that his vision has been false. It lost. But then, in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, what do we see? That in fact, that is the true kingdom. In fact, that is the right way of ordering things. That is God's will. God, in raising Jesus from the dead, trumped the kingdoms of the world and showed the dominance of the true kingdom. Now, I tell that story because I think it's essential to Paul. Paul also thought Jesus was a hopeless case crucified criminal, his message repudiated. But when Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, the crucified Lord, now risen from the dead, he realized now Israel's promises have been fulfilled in him. No one expected it that way. No one for a minute thought it would happen that way, but it did. God showed, listen, his lordship by raising this crucified criminal from the dead. The kingdoms of the world are now seen as fallen. And this new kingdom, embodied by the risen Jesus, is God's kingdom. This now becomes Paul's message. That's why he says, in that line that I often cite, I preach one thing, Christ and Him crucified. You see why? In preaching Christ crucified, he's showing the judgment of God on the world. Those kingdoms that killed Jesus are under judgment. But now, preaching Christ crucified and risen from the dead is showing 
God's new way, God's new world, God's new life. What does Paul want to do? He wants to draw as many people as he possibly can into this Jesus movement. Better, better into Jesus himself so that their lives might be ordered by him. You know a phrase that occurs 83 times in Paul's letters? The little phrase, in Christo, in his Greek. In Christ. In Christ. He says it over and over again. He means this mystical participation in Jesus' way of being is how we are ordered rightly. Another key word, and I could preach for hours on this because there's been such a long tradition around it, but a key word in Paul is the word justification. How are we justified before God? You know what the word means, really? It means rectified, set right, rightly ordered. Paul's insight is it doesn't happen through the law. It doesn't happen through works. It doesn't happen through the kingdoms of the world. It happens through Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord. In Him, our lives are justified, rectified, set right. His whole gospel is summed up in that phrase, to live in Christ Jesus. Next week, I'll pull out some implications from this insight to give us a final look at this central and important teaching of St. Paul. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.